Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our friends at Ditch Witch. Bass Edge Television is on Wild TV in Canada and on the Versus Network through June of 2008. Outdoors Dan here, and I've got our good friend Aaron Martin alongside. And Darren, I guess we're going to be checking in with Mr. Dave Wolak today. Yeah, Dave, I tell you what, this is going to be a great, great interview. He, he's just a great guy, a really fun guy to fish with. And, uh, you know, we're going, I think there's a song uh, about where we're headed to down on the Chattahoochee River. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know you guys knew Alan Jack. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't. We might get into, into some uh, some trademark property uh, situations, rather. But uh, it's going to be a fun time regardless. Well, that's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to head over to an Inside Edge segment. And I guess we're going to be talking about keel guards and why it's important to take care of the bottom of your boat, huh? Yeah, uh, you know, last year we actually got into the actual keel guard uh, portion, which goes on the front of the boat. This uh, this year we're going to concentrate on the back end of the boat, which is on that Skeg Pro. Uh, again, being able to get the boat uh, to where the fish are through those shallow conditions, rock stumps, uh, make sure that you don't take your lower unit off in the meantime. So it'll, it'll be a good interview. Yeah, that'll be good. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, all that plus a lot more is all here on the edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Uh oh, look here, I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Whoa, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Just outdoors, Dan Aaron Martin's right alongside here. And you know what? Uh, March. It's finally March. And I wake up this morning. I actually saw grass yesterday, Aaron. It was 62 degrees. I wake up this morning. We got four inches of snow. <laughs> it's that time of year. You know, we, yeah. we, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, conditions and seasonal patterns and things like that. And, and you know, March is really one of those months where it, it can can deal you uh, some some odd circumstances just when you think it's it's going to get warm and the fish are going to start doing things uh, that they that they normally do uh, it seems like the wild card is always the month of march yeah you guys are heading down to tennessee so hopefully it'll be a little warmer yeah yeah get to go uh to experience some nascar we're going to be uh down at bristol tennessee uh in the vip area there at the o'reilly's booth going to have the truck and the boat get to meet a lot of the uh uh, NASCAR enthusiasts, and then we'll be joining uh, there on pre-qualifying day, the day before actual qualifying, I guess, what you would call it, the, the National City Food 1000 autograph signing session. So we're going to get to to take part in that and, and looking really forward to that. We'll have some pre-giveaways and a lot of a lot of good stuff and be able to sit around and talk about fishing and racing and, and uh, some of those things. Yeah, hey, you tell Bill I said hi and if you can, give me some of that factor gear. Yeah, I, <laughs> okay. I like that one that says, I'm not a pinhead. There you go. Yeah, I'll so, do my best. I'll do yeah. my best. Well, I know that Bill O'Reilly, man. He's a good guy. Yeah. Hey, yeah, you know, NASCAR is huge. and it, it, Not only with the motorsports itself, but you get so much crossover. Those people love to fish and hunt. You know, I'll use the uh, late Dale Earnhardt as a prime example of that. That man just loved the outdoors. Well, and, and you're right, because I think that, you know, so many of, of the fan base that's uh, both in hunting, in fishing, in NASCAR, you know, rodeo. Really, it's just about the passion of the outdoors, and that's where uh, the roots are based. Uh, you know, that's really a grassroots market, and being able to um, to enjoy all of those things uh, and, and the love of the outdoors, I think it's just a perfect match. So. 
Well, I tell you what, folks, we're going to run and check out what's next up here on the edge, and I believe that is going to be up there with Mr. Dave Wolak fishing that famous Chattahoochee River. We'll be right back on the edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us today to talk about fishing a river is Dave Wolak. Dave, uh, thanks so much for being part of The Edge again. Hey, no problem, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. We were able to uh, spend some time together on a little different situation for Bass Edge in, in the fact that, uh, you know, it was, it was a river system. And we've really been concentrating, you know, a lot throughout the course of the year on, on fishing larger reservoirs. And, um, you know, we, you and I had the opportunity to spend some time on a river that neither of us really had, uh, had seen before. Can you set, kind of really set the stage for what the river was and, and, and describe some of its conditions that we faced? Yeah, no problem. You know, um, the, that particular river system, it, it, it kind of is a natural basin of a river that, I believe, used to run in current, and we hadn't been there before, so we quickly learned that the lock system involved uh, between the, the, the several lakes that um, barges travel through and the, and, the, and the river system that they travel through, that a lot of times is what makes for the current instead of actually the natural river current. So uh, it kind of runs at some times and then doesn't run at other times. So you have the natural basin of the river, like I said, and the, the natural bends and the, the deep holes and then what used to probably be shallow ripples and things like that, but it was more dredged out for barge purposes at this point and connected by locks. And the opening and shutting of lock doors is really what made for that current. And, and, and we learned that quickly. I think we were about an hour and a half into the day or so, and all of a sudden this, this raging current started coming down. And, you know, it, 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 it could work to enhance the bite a lot of times and, or it could work to hurt the bite. And uh, we were there particularly on a cold front type of situation. So we caught a lot of fish, but it was a little bit tougher to really kind of judge that current and what it was going to do, being that it was cold and in the fall and in the transition time. But, you know, we, we kind of figured it out there, I think, as the day went on, didn't we? Well, we did. We did. You know, and, and of course, the, the headwaters of that is obviously um, impounded Lake Eufaula. And then to the south of that, um, you know, obviously you have uh, another lake that is dammed up. And so we were really, you know, kind of in between. How much do you feel that, you know, having a, a river system, do you think the Chattahoochee being kind of caught in the middle there, does it still have characteristics, you know, of a river? Yeah, it, it does. It, uh, it definitely has the, the natural banks and the, and the, and the cutout outside bends and the lay down logs and things like that for, uh, in terms of debris that has been blown into certain places over time due to the current. And, and river fishing is one of my favorites. I mean, I, I, I always get excited because I grew up uh, trout fishing, really, actually, in the Northeast. And I know I said the T word here on Bass Edge. <laughs> but, you know, it, learning how to match the hatch and learning how to, how to judge current situations, uh, it kind of comes natural to, you know, to me because I grew up fishing for trout, and uh, I mean, a trout is a, a good read on how critical it is to match the hatch, because I mean, you're using size 
18 to 22 hooks sometimes with these little tiny flies. I mean, if you're not using the exact particular patch that's going on, you're not going to get bit. And, and I learned, you know, to, to kind of match that into bass fishing as well. And uh, we saw some of that uh, in, what, in our fishing that day in particular. Uh, we kind of did a little match hatching ourselves, didn't we? We did, you know, and, and you picked up, I think it was that uh, uh, RC 1.5, that crankbait. And what was amazing to me when you, I don't know if you remember this, but you actually caught a brim uh, that was just a spitting image of of your bait. You know, can you describe a little bit, you know, does it matter in some conditions more than others when you're trying to match the hatch, or or what is your your findings on that? Yeah, I I really think it does. And in that particular situation that you were talking about there, we had seen visually a lot of uh, small little brim and, and bluegills, pumpkin seeds, uh, all around the backside of uh, laydowns and debris, blow-ins and things like that, where the river had had situated them, and um, and seeing that, uh, and the driving force of when you're fishing a river for me is to fish shallow because the current and and usually a little bit of color in the water. I mean, it was kind of clearer there, but usually there's more color in a river situation because of all the the debris uh, uh, and, and algae blooms and things like that floating around. You get a little bit of color, and it drives the fish shallow. So in that situation, we found that all those brim were hanging around, and, um, and, and I picked up that little crankbait being a real shallow running square-built crankbait that I could throw around all the wood and caught a brim that looked exactly like the crankbait, so we knew we were right on, right on target. And it was amazing because I think we threw a few different crankbaits that day and didn't get as many bites, uh, deeper, you know, not only because they were deeper running crankbaits, but because they weren't the exact color of those brim that were situated behind all those, uh, those piles of wood and things like that. So, yeah, I think it does make a huge difference. I mean, I... I've seen it, like I said, uh, from tournament situations for bass to trout fishing to everything, that um, if they feed on a certain particular type of forage, then you're going to have to match that pretty closely in order to get bit. And you could always do the absolute opposite of that, which is another technique that I like to use, because sometimes there's an overabundance of a certain type of, uh, like, for instance, shad around the lakes that I live in in North Carolina. You get, you get so many just ridiculous amounts of shad that you can't almost compete with the amount of bait that's in there. So, you know, it's either you get right on target and, 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 and go with what you have or in terms of forage, or you go completely the opposite of that and, and, and try to get fish to just reaction bite because they see something different. Were you surprised, you know, that day, uh, it was a post-frontal condition, obviously, the cold front had came through, and then, of course, we had the bluebird skies in clear water. Were you surprised at how shallow that those fish were and responding to uh, a reaction-style bait that day? Kind of, yes. You know, the water was, like, clearer than I, guess, expected it to be, and a lot of that was there was some grass in, in, in there, and the lake above Lake Ufala was really low, so... The, every, all the sediment was settled, and there wasn't any color to the water hardly. But what we found, uh, that they were so shallow, because they were shallow to particular hard pieces of cover, rock and wood, and uh, that stuff on a cold front situation like we had that day, they, they magnetized to that, because that darker cover heats up and, and wicks up the sunlight and sucks those fish up close to it. And I, you know, a good read on a lot of that uh, many times is around the water temperature that you're dealing with. And I, and I think we were, I believe we were around high 50s, low 60s, and those fish will tend to be shallow, that particular uh, area of water temperature, regardless. Uh, that's, you know, kind of a, an active feeding water temperature. So I wasn't as surprised, but, I mean, the exact shallowness that we were getting them was kind of surprising because it was like six inches deep. I mean, it wasn't like a foot or two. It was like they were right on the bank. If you didn't get that crankbait, like right on the bank. 
then you weren't going to get bit. So I guess that was the surprising part of it. Like you said, you know, you had to have that bait right on the bank, almost like they were coming from off the ledge or off the edge of the kind of the creek channel coming up into the shallow water to grab it. Yeah, you know, I, you know, a lot of times in river situations, you get a little bit of an undercut bank, and that provides like a shadow, kind of like a mat. Or, and many of the banks that we end up getting a lot of bites on had that little bit of undercut to it, and they were tucked up right up underneath there. And not only because it was rock and wood and dark cover that collects the sunlight, but they had a little bit of shade and an ambush point there that they could come out and, and attack something that's not right for them in the current. And when I say not right, I just mean something a little different that's coming by really fast. They just reaction bite and hit it. Well, you know, a lot of times in a river system, especially one that has a lot of boat traffic, which if you remember that day, we, I think they kind of had the racing uh, circuit yeah. out on the river. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of a lot of wave action that undermines the bank, and so it kind of creates those natural, that undermining of the bank along the ledge. That's right, and, and the, the out, like I said, it's the, it's the, when the river was completely naturally running, it created those undercut banks as well, and, you know, the wave action wasn't actually all that bad for us, because what it did was all the areas that were lined with sediment or anything that would get stirred up actually became muddy for us, and what we were looking for was rock and hardwood and, and things like that that wouldn't get as much stirred up, and we were able to locate those a lot easier, those, those particular styles of banks, because if we couldn't visually see the rock underneath there, we knew that if it wasn't getting muddied up, then it wasn't sediment, and it was what we were looking for. Sure. You know, in particular, I, I remember one of the catches and one of the, the patterns that, that you had established was around that, that bridge uh, piling system, and then it also had uh, like a, a barge docking system, some old pilings that was there, and it was right around on the inside of a, a gravel bank. How much of, of a role does that play into, you know, because there are bridges, obviously, that go across lakes, but does that actually, do those come more into play in a river system? Oh, yeah, definitely, because that current all breaks and forms in like an eddy uh, in, on the backside of all the bridge pilings. And, you know, what I do with the bridge pilings, if they don't work for me as an exclusive pattern, I'll run to them and fish them just to get a judge on what the fish are doing. Uh, it, for instance, if you have a big, large piling that's situated in four to five feet of water or then the next piling out is situated in 15 to 20 feet of water if you get bit on the shallow one on the upside current of it that's telling me that the fish want to be in the current and no you know nose to the current waiting for something and if i get bit on the back side of the shallow one that means that they're kind of shallow but they want to be in a slacker water situation uh, out of the current or if i get bit on the really deep piling that's telling me that those fish are, are going to try to get out in the middle of the river someplace on, co on cover or current uh, out in the very middle. You know, they need that 15 feet of, of confidence uh, of depth there to, uh, to situate themselves in. So, if, again, if it's not the exclusive pattern that you're using, uh, that I use, then I just use it to get a read on the rest of the river. And that usually uh, gives me the ability to run up river and look for what I'm looking for from the, you know, for the rest of the day. So essentially you're using that as, as more or less a, a benchmark to where perhaps you might not be fishing any more bridges because there might not be any more, but mainly just from the standpoint of where to target what depth in the current break situations. Exactly. You said a 15-minute exhortation for me in <laughs> two seconds. Yeah, exactly. You're right. So, you know, what about when you look at a river, for, the, for those maybe who, who didn't grow up or don't have as much uh, acclimation to fishing rivers and, and grew up fishing larger bodies of water, you know, it, it, at first glance it might appear that everything looks the same. What are some key points that you can provide us for a starting point? You know, where do you start and what do you look for? Uh, try to figure out what the fish are looking for in terms of slack water or current. Um, and if you... Uh, I grew up not only fishing for trout in rivers, but I grew up uh, fishing uh, 
smallmouth bass in, in rivers. And it was extremely prevalent in those situations to see the immediate difference when it went from like, if you're fishing right when it was cold out in the wintertime in the, either the fall or the, or the early spring, those fish would be in complete black water as they could possibly find, like the deepest holes that have 20 feet of depth and they'd be on more of the tail end of the pool where there's not any massive amounts of current flow. And in the summertime, they were seeking that fully oxygenated water and a lot of the forage and everything would get up right into the headwaters of a pool or right into the, the main drag of current. And um, usually, you know, at different times of the year, you can find happy mediums because the bass is going to seek, obviously, a, a, a slacker water situation when they're around the spawn time as well. So if you could determine exactly if they're seeking slack or current right off the bat, you could pretty much look at a map and say that here's a backwater that's not going to have a lot of current or here's a main, you know, swing of the river that all the current is going to have to funnel through, and there's probably going to be fish there, and you could pretty much read a map and say, this is where I'm going to be needing to go right off the bat as soon as you determine whether they're, they're uh, going to be in current or not. What about bait selection? Uh, bait selection is different in different parts of the country. I usually just try to target shallow cover in, in river situations regardless of where I go. Um, if you get around cover, that means you're around a current break, just the same concept as the piling that we talked about. If you have a, you know, a pile of wood debris that's blown into the corner of someplace, you're either going to get them in the front of it or behind it or right in the heart of it. And uh, you could determine uh, what baits you're going to use just by going through your tackle box, shallow running crankbaits, jerkbaits that don't run too deeply, uh, flipping jigs. Uh, weightless baits work excellent in rivers. Um, any kind of your thinking minnow-type presentations like a yumdinger or sanko or any of that stuff. They work excellent because they go with the natural drift of the river. So, and 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 you could you could kind of ride that dead stick, dead drift pattern in any kind of river fishing and do pretty well on it. How uh, critical is is boat positioning? You know, when you're in a current situation like that. Yeah, right off the bat, um, fishing up current is always better. Sometimes, you know, your natural presentation is to have the bait drift down, of course. But if you're fishing down current. What you're doing is you're going to get a bite, and you're going to end up having a, you're drift buying it. You, you know you're going to end up drifting it by the bite that you had, and having to turn the boat around to fish that area more thoroughly. So by drifting up current, the fish you're always throwing to where they're looking, and they're not looking at you coming at them because they're always going to be facing up current for the most part. Uh, that obviously is not the case in flak situations, but um, in, in, when you're fishing that main drag, always try to just right off the bat get yourself facing up current and casting up current, at least at a 45-degree angle. So it's kind of like in football, maybe leading your receiver, the quarterback leading the receiver, you want to place that ball or that lure to where the fish is, is looking or where the receiver is going versus trying to throw right on top of them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, 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 it comes kind of naturally to me because I'm so used to that. Um, I mean, from when I was a little kid, I, my dad would take me trout fishing, and I'd, we'd walk upstream. I mean, that was it. We didn't ever walk downstream. It didn't make any sense because we'd be wading in the river, and we'd be kind of churning up all the sediment and everything as we walked down to the next pool, and a fish would get spooked by that. So, um, I mean, it was always just an up, you know, always walking up or always fishing up. So it kind of comes natural to me, and, and you get used to that. And once you determine the, the degree of rate of the current flow, you kind of get that natural cast of, I'm going to need to cast two feet above my where my actual target is in order for it to drift by at the right rate. You know what I'm saying? So if you have a super fast current, you're obviously going to have to cast up further past it. So just like you're saying, leading the receiver, uh, depending on if you have uh, your tackle going out for a pass or you have Randy Moss going out for a pass, <laughs> you're going to have to lead, lead him at a different rate. Sure. And in our last closing minute, advantages or disadvantages of a river system? Uh, disadvantages, 
I'd say that you get a lot more variations in when you get there to uh, in terms of you don't know what it's going to be like. Weather plays a big part in how good or poor the bike could potentially be. If you have uh, you know, an extreme rain or something like that, whereas a lake isn't going to be as much affected by it. It might go up six inches, but the water clarity and depth and all the stuff on your top, your topo maps are going to stay the same. A river could be extremely affected by uh, the littlest weather conditions. So that's a disadvantage of it. The advantage of it is definitely your ability to always fish shallow. Um, current and all the other variables that we spoke about puts those fish shallow at all times, and you could go there expecting pretty much a shallow bite at every time of the year. And, you know, I think that's a great point. One of the things that I always appreciate about a river is from year to year or even within the, the same year, uh, you know, you have a flood or something like that, the cover, the current, it, it's always changing. It's kind of its own dynamic of, of how it ebbs and flows. And, um, you know, I, I always think that that's one of the, the great uh, challenges when, when fishing a river is because it's, it's not a static environment. It absolutely is a great challenge. And, um, so just, you know, I advise looking in, uh, you're looking ahead of, of, and looking at the weather pattern before you go. Um, but, uh, sometimes the surprise of that is the challenge that you're seeking and that's what makes it more fun as well. Well, Dave, that's great information. And, uh, you know, if our listeners would like to, uh, to get a message into you on your email, uh, certainly go to prostaff at bassedge.com. And then Dave, you also have your own website. Is that correct? Yeah, my website is DaveWolakFishing.com, and there's some contact information on there as well. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dave, for your time, and uh, we look forward to talking with you again in the future. Thanks, Aaron. See you next time. Well, you know, Aaron, i got to tell you, the Chattahoochee River sounds like a wonderful fishery. Well, it is, and, you know, obviously it's, it's hundreds of miles long, but the unique thing that we were able to do, and again, I brought this up in one of the previous podcasts, but uh, in 2007 season, we actually fished down on Seminole, which is uh, a small portion of it actually goes into the uh, into Florida, but a large portion is actually in Georgia. And then, you know, previously in the year uh, with Boyd Duckett, we fished on Eufaula. Well, the section of the Chattahoochee River that, that, we, that Dave and I were actually fishing together is dead center in between those. You know, you've got Coheely Creek, Abbey Creek, all those areas, and so being able to now have said that we fish all of these different watersheds to be able to go back and uh, and put a pattern together and look at Seminole, look at the difference of Eufaula, and then kind of this middle stretch, it was really a lot of fun to be able to do that. You know, we as anglers, oftentimes um, we we don't get to actually fish the entire watershed, but this is a this is a unique situation. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about that. Are you okay? Did it hurt? <laughs> You're such a nut. No, really. I mean, I didn't know you fell. Fell. Yeah, you said you follow. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know you got hurt. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, you follow, I follow. We, <laughs> we all fall together, right? Oh, you follow. You follow. I'm sorry. You're not enunciating. Mm, I, was, yes. I was concerned about you. Yeah. Maybe it's these headphones I have wrapped around my ears. <laughs> no, I think that's pretty neat. I, I envy you a little bit. I haven't been a chance uh, to get down there. Matter of fact, I'm going to be driving down that way here in about two weeks. So I don't know if I'm going to have a chance to wet a line or nothing. Hopefully when I get to Florida, I'll be able to wet a line. Oh, yes. Well, you've got to. And and it's just the traditional, you know, it's it's exactly what a lot of us, I know you and I, Dan, uh, growing up on on small streams and rivers and and farm ponds. But that is really what what the Chattahoochee, and especially that stretch, you know, you had current, you had current breaks, channel swings, uh, just your traditional. You even had a little vegetation mixed in the river. So, sure. uh, a lot of great things, and I'm, I'm telling you, you know, just being able to go and key in, like Dave said, on uh, on those those harder uh, surface, I guess, channel swings to where they had some of that rock. Those fish were holding extremely shallow and extremely close, 
and really responded well to uh, to that crankbait. Well, how many times have you and I, or you know, I don't know about you, but growing up in the Burbis and going up and getting on them rips, and then right after those rapids and stuff, you come in, and you got a nice little hole there. And boy, I tell you what, the bass are just waiting for them crawfish and everything. You know, and and the thing that I couldn't, really, neither of us could grasp, Dan was. We had a major, major cold front come through, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, you always hear you hear a lot of anglers use that as an excuse. But the unique thing was that we anticipated that, uh, that those bass would actually pull out, you know, being a little bit deeper water, maybe some of the still water, uh, just kind of suspended and hanging out. But what we found, and and it took us actually a while to figure this out, but the bass were actually holding so shallow that, and and really what what tipped us off, we kept seeing. Uh, bait fish right on these uh, ledges and, and right up against the bank. And just if you did not have that crankbait really running in that first, say, foot to two foot of water right on against the bank, you couldn't get a response. It was it was really a, a, a learning process for both of us. We had a lot of fun. And really what I gathered, I know we, we talked about this in the interview with Dave, but when he caught that, that uh, brim uh, and it he held it in his hand right next to the crankbait that he was throwing, and it was an identical match. And really? you hear a lot of talk about matching the hatch, both colors and size, and uh, with that water being clear, um, you know, we were very, very fortunate. Well, there you go. Well, he sounds like he had a great time. Tell you what, folks, we need to take another break. When we come back, you're going to go inside the edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. Welcome back to The Edge, and joining us on this week's Inside Edge segment is the president of MegaWare Keelguard, Dave Shumway. Dave, thanks uh, so much for being part of The Edge. Well, thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. You know, Dave, one of the things that we stressed on on this week's episode, and and really always stress, is the importance of boat protection from stem to stern. And obviously, MegaWare Keelguard has, has really set the bar extremely high uh, with the introduction of, of coming out with a first do-it-yourself keel guard installation, and certainly that's been a, a tremendous hit. But now you also have something that, that really protects the other end of the boat. Can you talk a little bit about that? Certainly. That's our skeg protector called a skeg pro, and what we've designed is a stainless steel product that goes on the lower edge of your motor to protect that skeg from damage through uh, uh, rock rocks or ramp dragging or anything that could cause a damage to that lower unit on the soft aluminum portion. You know, and, and one of the things that I appreciate as an angler is is being able to proceed with confidence to get to where the fish are. You know, and a lot of times those aren't under ideal conditions, let's say. You know, you got to be able to get back into the shallow water, into the backwaters. Um, and, and really the Skeg Pro serves as, as two things. One is from a preventative side, and the other one is, uh, you know, to make sure that, that you can proceed with that confidence. That's right. We want to take the, the fear of moving into... Uh, dangerous spots or uh, maybe somewhere where it could be hazardous, uh, it takes away the fear and the worry and the concern because it will absorb a lot of shock and damage that would normally occur without this product. Well, and, and you know, the skeg on your motor, obviously, it, it does multiple things. But without that, uh, it certainly really opens up that whole prop area 
to a tremendous amount of damage, which we all know stainless steel props are not cheap. You know, how, how easy is this to, to basically apply to, let's say, motors who potentially have some minor wear on their skeg? Well, one, minor wear won't be an issue because this can cover up a lot of dings and nicks and chips. Uh, obviously, if there's been damage to where half the lower unit's missing, that would uh, require a repair job first. But this is very simple to install. It's designed for the do-it-yourself user and goes on in just a matter of minutes. Yeah, I, I know speaking from experience, you know, we run those obviously on all the Bass Edge boats. And, and realistically, I could easily say, you know, within seven or ten minutes, as long as you have a rubber mount and a drill, you know, the thing slides right on. That's right. It's that simple. Uh, a three sixteenth-inch drill bit and a rubber mount is all you need. And, you know, what about as far as how universal is, is the product? Do you have a, a, a number of, of sizes being able to, to address most motors? Well, currently we have about 14 different sizes and models, and uh, about four or five of them fit about 80% of the lower units out there. So we have a, a unit that will fit virtually any motor. And, and what is the actual, uh, is it stainless steel that, that the Skeg Pro is actually made out of? Yes, we use a mirror polish stainless steel. It almost looks like a chrome accent piece. And we use it with 304 stainless steel, so it's uh, uh, designed to protect against harsh marine environments and uh, still looks good and creates a custom look and lasting protection finish. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I've had a lot of people think uh, when they see that, they're like, well, man, that's really interesting. Did you put that on there just for aesthetics? And, and uh, uh, the, of course, the answer obviously is no. You know, it's actually for protection, but it's amazing the, the aesthetic effect that that adds uh, to your motor and to the overall appearance of, of the uh, bass boat. A lot of people tell us that. Exactly. It looks so nice. What about when it comes to, you know, it, are these just designed for... Um, you know, for bass boats, or can you really apply those to any type of outboard? Well, there's a lot of universal fit. Uh, it's almost any outboard out there. Uh, there's a lot of commonality between the different uh, lower units, and so it will fit virtually anything that's, uh, that's got a lower skeg. You know, the other thing is, when, when talking about this, it's not just from, let's say, running your boat or, or running your motor through uh, rocks or trees or stumps or along those lines. I know there's been numerous times to where I've forgotten to raise my motor prior to pulling it uh, out of the garage, or even pulling it out of the boat ramp, and, and the Skate Pro really helps address uh, kind of that forgetfulness of, uh, you know, potentially doing damage there. I've experienced that same <laughs> sickening feeling and noise when uh, I forgot to raise my lower unit and heard it scrape along the back, and fortunately I did have a skeg protector on, and it uh, wore just a little bit of the corner, and I hate to think what would have happened without that. Yeah, you, you know, and, and that's another good point, because it's it's not cheap to, to repair uh, there's a lot of machining and welding uh, techniques that have to go into when you get that skeg, uh, skeg repaired. That's right, and that's, again, why we call this a preventative product. It's ideally suited for putting on before that uh, damage occurs, but if there's some wear or some chips like we mentioned earlier, you can certainly cover it up. In our last closing minutes here, Dave, you know, what about as far as you know, cost compared to fixing, let's say, a skeg versus the actual cost of, of a skeg pro? Well, it's a small fraction compared to the repair work that a a repair shop would charge. Typically, they retail for $69.95, which we find to be very competitive in the market, and especially when you compare it to the potential of damage that could occur. Yeah, there's there's certainly no comparison as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, again, great information, Dave, and, and, and MegaWare Killguard continues to raise the bar on quality boat protection products. How can our listeners uh, find out more information concerning the Skeg Pro or, or really any of MegaWare's uh, products? Well, you can learn more about the Skeg Pro by going to our website, which is www.keelguard.com, 
and there it will have the listing of different sizes for the different motors and uh, applications. And what about a telephone number? You can reach us anytime at 800-292-9835. Well, Dave, I really appreciate your feedback and your information, and certainly appreciate uh, you being involved with Bass Edge. We look forward to next time. We do, too. Thank you very much, Eric. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-88-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. All right, Aaron and I are back right here on The Edge. You know, when I'm at the ramp next time and somebody calls me a skeg, I'm going to know exactly what they're talking <laughs> there about There you Aaron. go, and you'll know you'll need protection. Skeghead. <laughs> we should get skeghead shirts made. <laughs> there you go. I'm serious. Those would yeah. be popular. Yeah, they would be popular. And trust me, the, the first time you ramp drag your uh, skeg and, and bend your, uh, or knock a big chunk out of your skeg or bend your prop or something, or when you're idling through those rocks, you'll... You'll uh, it'd be kind of like how do you like me now type deal. So yeah, well those folks at Kilgard, I think they have you covered. Yeah, <laughs> stem to stern, right? Yeah, stem so. to stern. That's amazing. Uh, you know what? Uh, it's time to check in with the Bass Edge Community Calendar and uh, and uh, also the uh, promotions board and everything else that are going on in our little community. And I understand you have some major announcements. Yeah, you know uh, what's interesting is that a uh, couple things. We're only a few weeks removed from the Bassmasters Classic and. You know, I had a chance to catch up with Alton Jones, and of course, obviously, after you win something like that, uh, his schedule is just nuts. But you know, I, I had the opportunity to talk with him uh, concerning his victory. But more importantly, you know, he used Ardent Reels, and that was a, a huge, huge victory, not only for him but also uh, exclusively using Ardent Reels to win that. Uh, so, congratulations and hats off to him. Uh, the other thing is our very own Steve Brigman. Uh, just came back from uh, the Texas Outdoor Writers Conference, and uh, he won three awards, one of which was uh, for the best uh, web story in the category that, that he wrote, and then also two of them were for his photography. So hats off to both of those guys. I think that's that's just tremendous. A lot uh, of things going on with him. Yeah, you know what, Bass? That seems to have some good affiliations there, right? Yeah. Man, that's awesome. That's because we got you, Dan. <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, Aaron. I was being humble, but I'd... thank you. I'm glad so, somebody realizes it. Hey, you know what? Uh, we know a lot of things going on. I know everyone, when you were up here in Iowa, everybody enjoyed talking to you, and uh, I know they're anxious to get you back. But we've got a whole bunch of stuff to do before you get to do that again. And don't forget, folks, we want to hear from you. Uh, if you have a question or comment or just want to say hi, would you please send a listener email to prostaff at com? And you know what? Some of those is going to be answered on this program, but the majority of it is, will be answered on the web and also um, on the newsletters. And don't forget about that newsletter. That's very popular, isn't it, Aaron? Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, I, I really enjoyed see, you know, seeing the first issue. I know that they've already got, I think the second one is, is about to be finalized. Uh, but it's just a great way to keep up to date as far as what's going on, not only within Bass Edge, but also just within the, the fishing industry. And, um, you know, I just want to say thanks to uh, We have received so many emails uh, from just letting us know what's going on in in each of the individual anglers uh, that, that send in, but also the great questions, and just really appreciate people taking time out to uh, send us a shout. Well, we always want to hear from everybody. Absolutely. So that's amazing. 
lot of stuff coming up, but uh, you know what, folks? Don't forget to tell your friends that uh, they can go to iTunes and get this podcast absolutely free of charge. If they don't want to go to iTunes, you can go just right to BassEdge.com, and it's free as well there. And uh, if you do take it on iTunes, though, please make sure you take the time to give us a rating. And uh, I always like to say two antlers way up, but, you know, however you want to do it. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, Are you the other thing, Dan, Dan, is, no, I'm not echoing you, but the other thing I, that I do want to squeeze in before we run out of time is yeah. uh, one new segment, if you have not had a chance or an opportunity to go uh, uh, see that. On the media page, we now have the video tips from a lot of the different anglers and pro staff that we work with, and they're oh, just, cool. uh, just quick tips, things that will ultimately help you either uh, stay more organized, catch more fish, uh, a lot of great things like that. Um, they download very, very quickly, so be sure and, and check those out as well. Yeah, I didn't get asked to do any of those. No, you will. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my free fishing trip. Uh, I hear you. Me yeah. too. And my blaze orange shirt. You yeah. wouldn't. You got to wear the do rag first. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. All right, folks, we got to get out of here. We'll way over time. Next week on Bass Edge TV is FLW angler Travis Rule, and he'll be talking about Table Rock Lake. Is that correct? Uh, Travis Rule, great guy, and oh. uh, we get to experience some jig fishing. Really? Mm-hmm. You and them jig fishing. Jigs up and down. That's right. Up and down. I just wish you'd make a decision. <laughs> hey, we'll see you next week right here on The Edge, folks. Have a great evening, and thanks for listening. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, V&W Trailer Hitches, Megaware Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstar Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.